This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Turn to Galatians chapter 4, if you would. I must say, our travels through the book of Galatians are faster than our book travel through the book of Ephesians. Uh, so um, we are uh, crossing over the uh, chapter 4 mark in the book of Galatians. Both of these uh, books have six chapters. Galatians chapter 4, just uh, by way of recap tonight, uh, was written to several churches uh, at Galatia, uh, not any one particular church that this letter was written to. Uh, Paul wrote it to combat false teaching. Uh, the, a lot of the New Testament is written to combat false teaching. We see uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter, uh, some of Paul's other letters that he's written. He's written to uh, deal with people that were getting the gospel messed up, getting other doctrinal things messed up. Uh, here, the gospel was messed up, and the gospel's critical to us as Christians. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, is everything to us. Uh, it's what the entire Christian religion hangs upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you mess that up, you mess up everything else. And so while the uh, doctrine of the gospel had been made muddy by these folks that were known as Judaizers, uh, Paul wanted to set it straight. He wanted to clear some things up. So they, these Judaizers had said, well, it's good that you're a follower of Jesus. It's a good that you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, but you also need to keep all of the other ceremonial laws. You also need to be uh, circumcised. You also need to keep the feast days. Uh, you also really just need to be a Jew. And so they, they viewed Christianity, this uh, new religion founded upon Jesus Christ himself, as kind of an add-on to the existing way of Judaism. Paul says, nope, not the case at all. The law is over and done with. It, it ran its course. It did its job. Now we're trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And there's a contrast of, of, of grace versus works here in this passage as well. Paul says you cannot be saved because you're a good person. You cannot be saved because you do good things. Otherwise, it nullifies the sacrifice of Christ and makes it of no effect. And so we find ourselves here uh, in uh, Galatians chapter four, uh, starting in verse number one. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages throughout the book of Galatians uh, as we find here uh, today. Galatians chapter four, verse number one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until a time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. Speaking of before we were saved, uh, we were slaves to the way that this world runs. Verse number four is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal passage of Scripture. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, wherefore, or for this reason, thou art no more servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 
As we look at the first two verses here, it's a little bit confusing if you don't fully understand what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to say, uh, in this case here, that we, before we were saved, were just as a child uh, is with his father. Uh, they don't have access to the things that the father has access to. They're under someone else's supervision. Paul's saying here, before Jesus, we were under the law and had no right to the father's estate. He says, you were just like slaves who could not own property, uh, who could not uh, own, uh, be heired or willed anything. He says, you were just like servants, you were just like slaves, you were just like children. You could not access the father's riches. For me as a, a dad, sometimes my kids will come to me and say, hey dad, can I have some money? Uh, and that's always an encouraging part about being a dad, right? Uh, hey dad, can I have some money? Sure, how much do you need? Well, I need $10 for this, I need $5 for that, I need... for this, Uh, great. That's fine, I got no problem with that. The problem that I have is when I walk in my room and I find my kids with my wallet open taking things out of it. That's a problem, right? You look like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. Why? Because it doesn't belong to you. You can ask for whatever you want. As your father, I'm gonna give you what you need, but you don't get to just take what you want. Now, the first time that I saw my wife doing that, going through my wallet, trying to do something, whoa, whoa, what are you doing, what are you doing? But then I realized, she's my wife. What I have belongs to her. She's welcome to take anything she wants. And from time to time, uh, she'll grab my wallet, grab a 20 out of there, grab my debit card to run to the store and get something like that. That's fine, you know why? Because it belongs to her. That's fine. My kids, not so much. It's not yours, don't touch it. Are you with me? That makes sense? Paul's saying here, before you knew God, the things of the Father weren't yours. They were off limits to you. You couldn't have them because you were just like a child, you were just like a servant, these things didn't belong to you. But here's the beautiful thing about it. When we become sons, things are totally different. You see, without Jesus, all have the potential of sonship, but not all will realize it. He's saying here, hey, everyone has the ability to become a child of God. The gift of salvation is open to everyone. Anyone who wants to can be saved. I'm thankful that the opportunity, the invitation to become a child of God is open to every person. The Bible says that that God doesn't make any distinction based on who you are, where you come from, your cultural background. Uh, As we took a look at uh, last week at the end of uh, chapter number three, it says it doesn't matter, chapter three, verse number 28, if you got your Bible open there, neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male nor female, for we're all one in Jesus Christ. This gift is available to anyone. The worst part about it is many people will never realize what it means to be a son or daughter of God. We'll never claim the gift of salvation. And sometimes we get frustrated because we'll share the gospel with a lot of people, we'll share our faith with a lot of people, but we don't see a lot of people get saved. And we sometimes think, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not sharing it right, or maybe, uh, maybe I'm not good enough at this, or maybe I just don't have the gift of evangelism or something like that. It's not the case at all. The Bible says that narrow is the way that leads to salvation and few there be that find it. You know who said that? Jesus. Jesus says the way of salvation is open to everyone. Straight is the path, but it's also very narrow and few people will actually find it. Now, it doesn't mean that God's trying to make it difficult for people to get saved. It's just that many people have a difficult time laying down their rebellion and repentance and laying down their sin and coming to Christ. But everyone has the opportunity to be able to be sons or daughters of God. You see, without Jesus, we're all in bondage. Verse number three tells us that even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Before you and I knew Jesus Christ as Savior, 
before we accepted the gift of salvation that we have, we were slaves, the Bible says, to the rudiments, to the schemes, to the plan of the world. Unfortunately, many Christians have been set free from that bondage, but then they go back to it again for whatever reason. We think that we'll find happiness or, or joy or contentment in the things that this world has to offer when that just really couldn't be the case. If I get that next promotion, I'll be happy. If I could make a little bit more money, I'd be happy. If I could get that new car, I would be really happy. If I could move to that new place, I'd be really happy. If I could just um, get a different uh, spouse, I'd be happy. If I could just get rid of my kids, I'd be happy. If I could just, all these other things that would maybe one day would make me happy, but you bought into the schemes of the world. You're thinking the wrong way. Joy and contentment comes from a right relationship with Christ. All the external circumstances really don't matter if my heart is fixed upon the Lord where it belongs. So without Jesus Christ, we're all enslaved to this world. Romans chapter six also tells us that we were once slaves to our sin as well. But God has set us free from the slavery of sin. And again, if you choose to remain in sin, it's because you choose to remain there because you've been set free from it. You no longer have to be in bondage to that. But I'm thankful for verse number four again. I told you I, I love this verse here. But Jesus came. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, Jesus came, first of all, in God's perfect timing. It's always important that we understand that God has a timeline for the way that things get done. And God is never late and he's never early. Everything always happens on time. You see, the, uh, if you were to take a look at your uh, Bible, if you were to take a look at the page that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament, that one page in your Bible represents 400 years of silence where nobody heard anything from God. There were no prophets. There was no open revelation. We don't even really know a lot that happened during that 400-year period there because it's blank. And how does the New Testament begin though? It begins with Christ. That after that 400 year period where no doubt the children of Israel wondered, did God forget us? We've been sold into slavery. We've been sold into bondage. And now 400 plus years later, it finds them as slaves of the Roman empire under Roman rule. They begin to question, did God forget us? All those promises that he made to our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, where are those promises at? And then comes the Messiah. Then comes Jesus Christ right on time in the fullness of time. I say that to be an encouragement to you because some people in this room are waiting on an answer from God and he hasn't really hit your timetable that you're looking for yet. Just be patient. Just trust him. He's always on time and he's always right. He's always good. Just have faith and trust him. Jesus came forth in the fullness of time in God's perfect timing. Next, we see that he was sent from God. God sent forth his son. Because God is who he is, God could have chosen to send anybody that he wanted to, but he chose his own son. Because God is also righteous, God is just. God couldn't send another sinner like you and I to redeem other sinners because that would violate his holiness and his justice. Someone had to come who owed nothing. Someone had to come who would never sin. Someone had to come whose shed blood could cover the sins of mankind. So God sent his son. I hope you never get over that, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
that God became a man to show us how it gets done. God became a man to show what love looks like. God became a man to show us how to live our lives. And God became a man to adopt us into God's family. That's the beauty of this passage here is that Jesus didn't just become a man for no reason. He came so that we could receive adoption. Next, this passage, verse number four, when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. See, Jesus was born of a woman. That means that he was fully man. The phraseology of this verse doesn't lend to the fact that that Paul's making a big deal of the virgin birth at this point, just the fact that Jesus was born to human parents, that he became flesh. He was born of a woman the same way that every other human being on planet earth was born. Now, please understand, this is not to say that the virgin birth is not a big deal because it's a huge deal. The virgin birth is another one of those critical non-negotiable doctrines that we don't get to say, well, it's okay if good Christians disagree on that. No, we can't. Because if Christ was not born of a virgin, first of all, he could not fulfill the prophecy that's found in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. So if Christ is not the Messiah, we're all toast uh, at this point. Secondly, uh, the fact that the, the sin nature is passed from our father, Romans chapter uh, four, Romans chapter five speaks of this. Our sin nature comes from our father because Adam sinned, death has passed upon all men for all men have sinned. If you have a dad, you're a sinner. So if Christ was born to two human parents then he had a human father who passed on to him his human sin nature, and that's a problem as well. We know that Christ was conceived of the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us, that he had no sin because he had no sin nature inherited from his father. Again, this is why we as Bible-believing Christians would also reject other uh, notions of the fact of the perpetual virginity of Mary, Mary that Mary had more children, but she was, remained a virgin. We, first of all, it doesn't hold water in Scripture. Second of all, it doesn't hold water theologically because if that were the case, she would have had more sinless children. And if Christ is not the only sinless son of God, then we've got another multitude of problems we've got to deal with as well. So we would reject the perpetual virginity uh, of Mary as well. Virgin birth, huge deal. You can't get around it. And let me just go so far as to, to throw this down. If anyone claims that Christ was not born of a virgin, they are a false teacher. Bottom line. Okay, what else they have to say? You denied the virgin birth of Christ, you're a false teacher. This goes for other non-negotiable doctrines, the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Anybody who says that that, that was not the case, reject them, false teacher. Again, when you go down to things like people who say you can't believe all the Bible or all the Bible's not true or the Bible's been corrupted, mark it down, false teacher, put them to the side. That's not what Paul's talking about, the virgin birth here. He's just saying that Jesus became a man. Keep your finger here in, in Galatians 4. We're gonna come back in just a second. But flip back, if you would, to Romans chapter eight. There's a lot of parallels between Galatians 4 and Romans 8. If you wanna read, take some time this week in your devotions and read them in parallel, that would be a really cool thing. This morning we were talking about how those who are in Christ and those who have been saved cannot lose their salvation. Verse number one in Romans eight tells us that. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Uh, if we skip down to verse number uh, three, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Notice he's saying here, verse number three, it's really critical that we get grasp this, that he was made in sinful flesh, but this does not mean that Jesus sinned. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. That's critical. Again, because if Jesus Christ has sinned, we need another savior because he's not good enough any longer. If Jesus Christ has sinned, he is no longer the sinless son of God, cannot pay for the sins of mankind. And again, we're in a heap of trouble if that's the case at point. But this is telling us here that he was born fully man. Sometimes, uh, Preachers try to use big, huge, confusing terms to make themselves sound really uh, theologically rich. Uh, for me, I, I think we should use as small words as we can when explaining the Bible uh, because the Bible is, is a supernatural book and it doesn't have to be confusing. Uh, how many people in this room know what the hypostatic union is? Raise your hand. Four, okay. God bless all four of you. How many of you understand the idea that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man at the same time? Raise your hand if you understand that. Yep, there we go, hypostatic union, you figured it out. Do we have to use big words? No, we just say Jesus was fully God, fully man. He never stopped being a man, but he never stopped being God. Now, again, he laid aside some of the prerogatives of his Godhead uh, and the fact that he could not be at all places at all, all times. He could not be omnipresent uh, while he was here in the flesh. He laid aside that, but he never stopped being God. That's critical but he was fully man at the same time too. That's equally as critical. That this wasn't just some, some God who would come and walk among us but never be one of us. No, he became one of us. Jesus had the same limitations that you and I did. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. There were times where Jesus wanted to get away from people and just relax for a minute because he had the same limitations upon him that you and I had. And that is so important because we look at someone who faced the same limitations that we do, yet without sin. It'd be easy if, we, if God had never came to earth and, and dwelt among us to say, well, well, he doesn't know what it's like to have people who talk bad about him behind his back. <laughs> Jesus knew all about that. Well, Jesus didn't know what it was like to have coworkers who hated his guts. <laughs> he knew all about that. Oh, Jesus never knew what it was like to actually, you know, suffer for something that he never actually did. Oh, he knew all about that. And so he came to this earth and was fully God, fully man for the purpose of paying for the sins of mankind. So back to Galatians 4, if you would. Verse number four, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. You see, Jesus was born subject to the law. Jesus didn't get a pass on, on keeping the law just because he was God. He was born under the law. To fulfill God's law, Jesus had to keep it perfectly. And this is one of the reasons why. The Pharisees wanted to Try to catch him. Oh, look, somebody's healing on the Sabbath. Can't do that. I, oh, there you go. You, you broke the law. Oh, can't, can't eat on the Sabbath. Broke the law. Oh, your disciples aren't washing their hands. Breaking the law. And, and again, if we look at, <laughs> this goes a little bit deeper. If we look at the fact that the Pharisees tried to cast doubt on the fact that Jesus Christ could be the Messiah because he couldn't keep the law. 
What is the primary tactic that the enemy uses against you and I to keep us from being able to trust Jesus? Doubt. And so we see that the Pharisees were used of the devil even to cast doubt upon Christ's character, his ability to keep the law, the fact that he could even be the Messiah. And the worst part about it is the Jews went along with it. They said, no, he's a blasphemer. Crucify him, kill him, get him out of here. And they crucified the Messiah because of doubt. But Christ was subject to the law. He would keep the law perfectly. And he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. Check the box, it's done. It has served its purpose and has brought us redemption. Next we see that, uh, verse number five, to redeem them that were under the law. The word redeem means to buy back. You see, we were sold under slavery because of our rebellion against God, but God wanted us back, so he sent his son to redeem us. The idea of redemption is the one who would buy back something and so for us, in this case here, we were uh, owned by our sin. God sent his son to redeem us. Next, we see that uh, he was, uh, verse number uh, four, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive. That was my kid, so that's why I paused. <laughs> that we might re- receive the adoption of sons. Why did Jesus do everything to give us family? To allow us to be redeemed, to to allow us to be forgiven of our sins and to give us a new family. One of the reasons why I love this passage here is because it talks about the adoption of sons. That you and I have become the sons and daughters of God when we didn't belong to the family to begin with. You see, no one's born into God's family. Everybody that's in God's family is adopted, everybody. Sometimes I'll ask people, hey, if you die today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven. They say, yeah, 100% sure. Tell me about how you know for sure. Well, I grew up, as long as I can remember, believing in the Lord. Mm, okay, well, there has to be a time and place where you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. There must be a time where you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ. Well, just as long as I can remember, I believed in the Lord. No one is born into the family of God, no one. And people begin to tell me, well, my, my, my dad was a Baptist preacher, my grandfather's a Baptist preacher, everybody, as far back as I can remember, Baptist preachers, good. What about you? because none of that matters because no one is born into God's family automatically. It just doesn't happen. If there's any one part of God's family, they're adopted into God's family. Think about it this way. Keep your finger here. Turn back to John chapter one. John chapter one, verse number 12. <laughs> if you ever wanna get fired up about Jesus, read John, the book of John, I, I love it. Um, verse number 12, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of God, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, beautiful. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. So we see verse number 12, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, you are a son or daughter of God and you're part of his family. But then if we flip over to John chapter three, verse number 16, most of us could probably quote that from memory. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why that word begotten is really important because you and I are the sons of God, but God only had one begotten son, one child that was his from the very beginning. Only had one son by the spirit, and that's Jesus Christ. Everybody else adopted, everybody. So the idea, again, that everyone automatically belongs to the family of God is not a biblical idea. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. Uh, Paul writes that we were the children of wrath, the children of disobedience. We were not born into the family of God automatically. We were born enemies of God automatically, if anything. But for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, again, John chapter one, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So turn back to uh, the book of Galatians, chapter four, if you would. The word that's used here, huiothesa, is the Greek word that's used for adoption. It's actually a compound word, which means son and a placing. It refers to a man giving the status of sonship to someone who is not his natural child. Oh, this right here just makes me wanna shout glory, hallelujah. I've been given sonship even though I'm not really his son. I've been given a privileged position in the family, even though I didn't deserve it. I've been called my son by my father, who wasn't my father to begin with. How did all of that happen? Because in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us and to give us the adoption of sons. And that word adoption means to take a man who is not a son and to place him into a family and give him the full rights of sonship. So I can be called a son of God. I don't deserve it. There's no way I can earn it. Sometimes I feel embarrassed to even be called a son of God. I get so down on myself and frustrated because of the, the failings that I have, the shortcomings that I have. I'm so frustrated. Like, mm, how can I be called a son of God? Not because of me, but because of Jesus. You see, as children, God's also given us a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse number six. Because your sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts. Notice the word spirit's capitalized in your Bible, the spirit of his son. Talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you're a child of God today, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Some would teach that you get saved over here and then maybe sometime later we'll pray really hard and maybe you'll get the Holy Spirit, maybe you won't. That's not a biblical idea. Uh, The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, if any man hath not the Spirit of God, he has none of his. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's one reason because you're not saved. But if you are a son or a daughter of God, you have inside of you the Holy Spirit. And that is a gift. We don't have time to go into tonight what the gift of the Holy Spirit is to teach you the the Bible, to train you, to give you discernment, to say, oh, something's not right with that right there. To allow you to have a power inside of you that's greater than yourself, to allow you to live out the Christian life in a way that you couldn't do on your own, in a way to bring you love and joy and peace and long-suffering and temperance and meekness and goodness and faith, all that you never had on your own, but now you have because you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're a son, because you're a daughter. And this is a gift that your heavenly Father gave you to help you to live up to your potential. 
Romans chapter 8, verse number 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. See at the bottom of, of uh, verse number 6. He sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba is a, a word that could be, it's a kind of an informal term for a father that's similar to what we would use as, as dad or daddy, kind of an informal uh, calling of God. And the idea here is that this allows us to have a personal, intimate, deep, and meaningful relationship with God, that word Abba. Again, the idea here is that we, we don't have to come to God with some religious put-on that we have. I don't know if you've ever been with people who've, who've prayed out loud and they pray in, in old English and it's just kind of weird. Our merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we beseech thee therefore before thy great throne of grace tonight for our supplications and thanksgivings. What? What did you just say? And who are you talking to like that over there? Do you talk to anybody else like that? That's just, and if you, if you pray like that, I love you. And I'll give you, I just don't understand it. Because this verse says we can come before our father and just say, hey, God, I'm struggling today. I need some help. You don't have to use big words. When people say, oh, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk to another human being? Yes, then you know how to pray. It's that easy. <laughs> Again, while we're talking about uh, pet peeves in public prayer, and not everybody's gonna be all self-conscious when they pray in their connect groups on Wednesday night. But if you've ever been in a group where somebody keeps calling God daddy, that's just kind of weird too. Like, daddy God, I thank you for this, daddy God. It's just like, a little bit, little bit strange. But if that's you, I love you and I'm thankful that you pray. It's just strange to me, right? I don't think the idea here is that, we're, that Abba, Father, means we're supposed to, to pray with the calling God, Daddy God. I think the idea here is that it doesn't have to be this weird, awkward, formal relationship that we have. It's just like sitting down and talking with, with your father, with your dad, letting them know what's going on. Um, I, I think this can also be taken to an unhealthy extreme where we set aside the reverence and holiness of God and just think God's our buddy. Hey, what's up? You know, thanks for the JC and the Holy Spirit inside of me. And just, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, <laughs> you haven't been around some people praying before <laughs> like this. And, and, and while we're on the topic, <laughs> that's what pastors say when they just want to go off on something, right? <laughs> while God is our Father, while it is an informal loving, personal, deep, meaningful relationship. Let's never forget the holiness of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ, ever. That's why we don't wear T-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Uh, that's why we don't wear, uh, I saw one time a pastor preaching in a T-shirt that had a picture of Jesus Christ with his hand on two turntables and a pair of headphones on. Don't do it. That's my savior. He suffered and bled and died because of my wretched sinfulness. He's not a joke and a gimmick for a T-shirt. It's not. I don't, I don't like it. It's not holy. This is, this is saying, though, talking to God just like pouring out your guts to your best friend. And he cares. He wants to hear. Peter tells us to cast all our care upon the Lord because he cares for us. He wants to hear what's going on with us. And this gives us that relationship. Why? Because Jesus 
in the fullness of time, was sent by God, born under the law, born of a woman to redeem us, so to give us the adoption of sons so that we can cry, Abba, Father. What a gift, the gift of adoption. Final thought here tonight, verse number seven. We're set free by the sonship, sonship we find through Jesus. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Hey, you were once a slave to your sin. You were once a slave to the way that the, the world did things, but you're not anymore. You're a son, you're a daughter of God. And because you're a son or daughter of God, the gifts of the father are yours for the taking. This belongs to you now. You're, here's the awesome part. Again, take a look at verse number uh, seven. Well, for thou art no more a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. In other passages, the Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ. You know what that means? That means God's our father and Jesus Christ is like our brother. What? What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. Jesus did it all. Well, what can I do to get that? Oh, no, you can't do anything. Jesus paid it all. Well, what do I get from this? Everything that the Father has is yours. Everything. Think of it now this way. Now, and again, please don't take this to the, the wrong extreme. But now, as a son, as a daughter, as having access to what the Father has, now you get to go open up the wallet and see what's in there and take what you need because it belongs to you. Because this is your, your heritage. This is your, you're an heir of the things of God now. Now, again, we're not talking prosperity, teaching all that other crazy stuff. I'm saying in verse number one and two, he says, you didn't have access to God's stuff before because you're like a little kid. You're like a servant. You didn't belong in this family. But because you've now been adopted into the family, you're now heirs together of the things of God through Jesus Christ. I have eternal life now. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. I have a father looking out for me. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. I now have brothers and sisters in this room here tonight. Why? because of Jesus Christ. I now get to not only spend eternity with all of you guys and with Jesus, I get to spend this life with you guys and with Jesus. What? How did I get that? Adoption. Here's the awesome part about adoption. If you were to adopt a child, that child gets a new birth certificate listing you as the birth parents. Whatever happened before you adopted that child, there's no legal record for that anymore because you are legally the parent. When you and I trusted Christ as Savior, we got a new birth certificate listing God as our Father. The sins of my father are gone. The family that I used to belong to, the family of the devil, the, the family of disobedience, the family of wrath, all those are gone. I have a new father now with a new birth certificate and everything in the past doesn't matter anymore because I'm a son. I'm not trying to get what the family has. I'm trying to be a part of the family. How do I get that? Through Jesus. Best family you could ever want to be a part of because this family will last forever what you and I are a part of by being adopted into the family of God, this lasts not just for this lifetime, it'll last for eternity. But it's important to understand we did nothing to earn this. And Paul's telling the churches at Galatia here, guys, you don't get all this stuff because you've been good. You did it because Jesus was born under the law. 
and he fulfilled the law so that now you can be adopted as sons and daughters. And everything is yours now because of what Jesus has done, not because of who you are. And this is great comfort to us as Christians because it's not about who you are or where you came from. It's about who Jesus is and why he came. That'll change everything for you. I want to encourage you tonight. First of all, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that you are a child of God, don't leave here tonight before you know for sure your sins are forgiven. But secondly, I know most of the people in this room's story about how they came to Christ. Would you just praise God for being a son or a daughter this week? Oh, what a gift we have that I can call out to my father anytime that I want to, anytime. He's never asleep. He's never too busy. He's never too tired. He can always hear me. Whatever I need, he's there. And he's working on my behalf because he loves me. <laughs> and here's the awesome part. Not only do I call him my father, but he calls me his son. Man, praise God for that. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.